0: Too often, when we look at sin, we have these little scorpions in our lives that we allow to climb onto our back. We allow to, to go with us. We, we make a room and a place and a space for them. We try to tame sin or accommodate it to, to live into our life. Maybe we cage it, let it out on occasion, feed it little bits. But one thing we don't understand is that sin is a predator. It is not something we can tame or try and cut a deal with. Um, or if we think we can feed it so little and we can control it, or feed it so much and we can control it. If you try and live with sin, it will destroy you. Imagine, if you will, if you allowed a grizzly bear to enter your house and decided to coexist with this grizzly. You could set up a room for it, you could give it a food bowl, um, whatever you like, it looks cuddly, but I guarantee you if you hug that bear, it will crush your head in its jaws. It will bring death to you. And that is how we must view sin. We are to put it to death, Paul says. We need to drag it outside and shoot it in the head. (laughs) It's true. That is how serious sin is. Now, Paul is, again, speaking to Christians. So he's not saying that if we struggle with sin, that we are going to receive the wrath of God at the end of time. Obviously, we have freedom in Christ because Christ has covered our sin. But what he is saying is that these things are serious and that this is why God's wrath is kindled towards the rest of the world. And sin is so serious that Jesus had to die a torturous death on the cross in order to rescue you and me from sin. And again, it's only because of his death that we have freedom from sin, that we can fight against sin. So it's because of Jesus that we can even pursue righteousness, that we can grow in holiness. I want to pick up in verse 7. So he says this, he says, In these you too once walked. So he's listed all these sins, he said the wrath of God is coming, and he's reminding the church, he's like, In these you also walked um, when you were living in them. And this is very similar to a verse in 1 Corinthians, which I will read for us. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 5. Or actually, verse 9. It says, "...or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of the Lord." And again, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. He's writing to the church. He's saying, you were in these sins. You were living in them, committing them, and yet there is hope. And It's just a beautiful verse to remind us that we have been rescued from sin. We no longer have to remain in it. In verse 8, he says, but now you must put them all away, all of these sins. Anger, wrath, malice, slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. And again, this list is very, very broad. Um, All of this is a huge umbrella, and all sin in the world falls under this. And he ends, or he begins verse 9 with, do not lie to one another. Um, And this is translated, I think, differently than how we understand in the Western world. I think in the Western world, we are very quick to move facts around, to change things subtly, slightly, white lies, um, withholding the truth. But the Greek word here is literally any kind of deception. So misleading someone, withholding part of the truth, any kind of lie or deception. Now again, this is not a complete list of every sin. So if a sin that you struggle with is not on this list, that doesn't mean you don't have to put it to death. Don't think you've dodged that bullet. Paul is, is not building the perfect list. He's giving you a broad understanding and saying that everything needs to be put to death that is sin. And this specific list covers a lot of sins um, under the umbrella of anger, specifically. And we continue on, verse 9 through 10. It says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So two very important things there. Seeing that we have put off, or you have put off the old self. So our old sin nature, we're putting off. And you are putting on the new self, um, which we are new creations in Christ. So we're putting on this new self. And it says, renewed in knowledge after the image of our creator, after the image of its creator. Who is our creator? God. Yes. Yes. Um, Even more specifically, if we look at Colossians 1.16, as it was preached a few weeks ago, it says this, it says, For by him, this is Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So Jesus is our creator. We are being renewed into the image of Christ. Now, the process of putting sin to death and growing in holiness is known in the Bible as sanctification. And verses 5 through 10 are focusing mainly on this process. Um, And sanctification, it's a word that we have in English because in the Greek, the literal translation would be holification. It's a verb form of becoming holy. So we don't really have that word in English, and so we have sanctification instead, which is a growth in holiness, becoming more like Christ. Uh, John Piper has a very easy definition, which is this: sanctification is progressively becoming more like Jesus. Again, sanctification is progressively becoming more like Jesus. And in these verses 9 and 10, it's not just an individual sanctification, which is happening, but also corporately in the body of Christ. With all of us individually putting off sin and becoming more like Christ, the entire body that is following Jesus, is doing the same. And this is something I want to mind us that is good. It's not a burden. When Christ saved us, we have the opportunity to become like him, to not sin, to grow in holiness. This is something that we can pursue with joy. Um, But we'll get there in a second. Continuing in verse 11, he says this. So here, that's Paul speaking again in the body of Christ, corporately. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And this is an amazing church. And basically his statement is, we are all equal because we are all Christs. As members of the body of Christ, we don't see each other differently. And the list here is very specific. So he talks about the Greeks, which were known for their knowledge and intellect. You had Plato and Aristotle um, the great philosophers and mathematicians, but no one who can boast in their knowledge or intellect. Um, he talks about the Jewish people, which would have been so pious, and um, God's own people had given the law of God, following God. But coming into Christ, that counts for nothing. It's not in their works or their knowledge of the law that's going to save them. He talks about barbarians, uh, the Scythians, which would have been like the ultra-barbarians of the time. So it doesn't matter where we come from, culturally if our culture is seen as maybe a bit rough around the edges, it makes no difference in Christ. He talks about the free or the slave, and he goes on. And he's basically saying we don't boast in or look down on others based on anything. Race, language, ethnicity, social standing, wealth, intellect, ability, etc. Christ should be all to us. He's preeminent over everything. He's the ultimate in our lives. And if we are defined by him, there is nothing else that defines us. Yeah, at the end of this verse, it says, Christ is all to us, or Christ is all and in all. And that's kind of a strange statement. I wrestled with that quite a bit. I'm like, what exactly does this mean? Christ is all and in all. Um, and the understanding I was able to come to and what seems to be the understanding of this text, Christ is all, is talking about, in our lives, Christ needs to be all, our everything, over all. And in all of us, let's look at that a bit more closely. So to do that, I want to look at Galatians 2.20. I'll just read this text for us. And this is Paul, again, speaking. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me, and gave himself for me. So literally, if you know Christ, then Christ is in you. He is living through you. So again, for everyone here today, it does not matter who you are, or what you have done, your identity, your worth, your value, your beauty comes from Jesus Christ. And when you come to Christ, through the process of salvation, we bring nothing. We have no merit when we come to the table of salvation. And for that very reason, all glory is Jesus's. So the main truth that we're finding in this passage, verses 5 through 11, is talking about sanctification, putting to death sin, becoming like Jesus. Now often when I hear a verse like this, or passages like this, I get very excited. Um, I really get fired up, and I'm like, how am I going to accomplish this? What am I going to do to make this happen? I don't know if any of you are like this. And usually in my mind, I try to figure out, oh, what am I struggling with? How can I attack that? How can I make more uh, guidelines or rules to protect me from that? And I go through this whole idea that if I put in enough work, if I try harder, if I put in some hard yakka, I can pull myself up by the bootstraps and become holy. Is there anyone else that approaches these verses this way? Or is it just me? Yeah. Yeah. And so I get very excited, which isn't a bad thing. But in my excitement, I'm almost always trying to figure out how I can do this. And the bad news is is that we, in our own strength, cannot kill sin. In our strength, in the process of trying to kill sin, we only create more sin. Um, So that's not something we should do. If we're trying not to sin and put sin to death, trying to kill sin in our own strength, creating more sin is not the path we want to take. And I thought a little way to illustrate this. um, Let's say you have a problem with a coworker at your work. And they just drive you crazy. You butt heads all the time. You're arguing all the time. And in a meeting, you have a problem. And you end up exploding and just telling them off in front of everyone. And you go home and you think to yourself, wow, that is not good. Like, I have anger in my heart, frustration. And I need to put this to death. I need to get rid of this. Um, Partly because... You want to get rid of it. But also, partly, you don't want to be known as that angry person at work. Like, oh, better walk on eggshells. This person explodes now and then. Um, So you decide, okay, next time I'm in this situation and I'm being provoked by my coworker, I'm going to breathe deeply, count to 10, and try to get through it. Next week, another meeting, same coworker, same problems, getting more and more angry. You literally want to jump across the table and strangle them. And you say, no, that is not Christ-like. I will now pray, and actually breathing first, then count to 10. And through your breathing, you're counting to 10, and you remind a not to be angry. You don't explode. You don't choke them. You leave the meeting. Everything is fine. And on the way home, you stop at Kohl's, and in Kohl's, there's a child who's wanting some lollies. And the mom is yelling at the child, telling them off. And you're like, oh, thank God I'm not like that mom. Thank God I'm growing in holiness. I used to be an angry person. Not anymore. But in fact, you're just like that mom. The only difference is your anger was hidden. Um, You've done nothing but try to hide your sin, which is, again, sin. In Matthew, we see that anger is likened to murder. It says if you're angry with your brother, you're held under the same judgment as if you had murdered them. So literally all that's happened is you've hidden your sin, which is sin. You've still murdered your friend in your heart. Um, So the anger is still there. Now you've just become prideful about it, self-righteous and moralistic. So you've just added to your predicament. And there you are, deceived that you're actually more holy. So this is something we cannot pursue in our own strength. If we do, it will just lead to death. So it doesn't change the heart. It only changes the action. And we need to remember this. We are utterly hopeless in our own strength to become less sinful and more holy. But there is good news. And the good news is that God knew that we can never make ourselves holy. And that our ultimate holiness is fulfilled in Christ. For both our salvation and our sanctification. Christ frees us from sin and he empowers us to defeat sin. I think this is something we want to just understand briefly. So there is salvation, which is when we come to know Christ, this process of justification. Basically, we're being declared righteous by God. And in that process, we bring nothing to the table. Absolutely nothing. We don't contribute in any way. It's completely of God. And he declares us righteous. And he's only able to do that because Christ lived a perfect life in our place. He went to the cross and he absorbed the wrath that God had prepared for you. That wrath that was talked about earlier, that's being kindled against sin, Christ took that on your behalf if you placed your faith in him. And not only did he absorb the wrath, but he took his righteousness and put it upon you, which is amazing. So when we stand before God and God sees us as his child, he sees us literally as holy as Jesus Christ himself. That is why we're able to come into his presence, to pray to him, to have a relationship with him. So that is done, and it's done with no effort of our own. It is completely done by God. And that means at the end of time when we stand before God and he judges the earth, there is no condemnation. There is no wrath left for us. He only sees us as a child, as righteous as Jesus, and he welcomes us into heaven. And this is amazing truth. So at the same time, though, that holiness, we have positionally it's talked about so in christ we are holy um, before god but that hasn't happened yet the world is still being redeemed um, and christ will come and we will be holy but right now we're still in this broken world we're still in sinful bodies and so that's where the process of sanctification comes in growing in christlikeness and this is a process that we partner with god in so in salvation we've done nothing it's completely up to him and only through his power Sanctification, we partner with God. God allows us to grow in holiness. We choose to be obedient, and we grow with him. So again, Christ is renewing us, um, and he's renewing us by empowering us to kill sin. And Christ works mainly through the Holy Spirit. So we are empowered to kill sin and to grow in holiness in Christ-likeness while we are living here on this earth. And I want to encourage us that this is a process. Now, there are times that God comes into your life and just changes you completely, and that sin is dead, and you no longer struggle with that. But oftentimes in life, this is a steady growth. Um, It is a progressive growing in Christ. So don't think that we will arrive uh, tomorrow or next week. It is something that we need to look at in the bigger picture of growing in Christ. So I want us to understand that this is only through Jesus that we can do this. Now, how do we grow in holiness? I think that's our next question. How do we become sanctified? How do we become more like Jesus? And so, obviously, it's the Holy Spirit working in our own hearts. But, even more so, God has given us, not more so, I would say. The Holy Spirit's fantastic and perfect. Um, But I'm saying God has given us other gifts empowered by the Holy Spirit to become holy. So we want to be practical and um, we want to work these things out. And again, even though Christ is sanctifying us, this does require effort on our part. I don't want you to go away from here and think, well, I'm going to continue sinning until I feel like I shouldn't sin anymore. Then obviously God's working in me. Um, We have God's word telling us not to sin. And there's many action words around putting sin to death and around pursuing righteousness. We are told to hunger and thirst for righteousness We're told to actively put sin to death. So it will take effort and that is okay. But this effort is empowered by God. So if you're here today and you have sin in your life which is everyone um, we need to be hearers of the word and doers. So there's three things practically that God gives us to help us put sin to death and I want to look at them and um, this is in no particular order of importance so please don't think this is a list of Start here and work your way down. Firstly, if you want to be putting sin to death and growing in Christlikeness, then you and I need to be praying. We need to be desperately crying out to God to change us, asking him to help us kill sin in our lives. If we are truly relying on God in our day-to-day life, our prayer life will reflect that. God is our Father, and he is a good Father, and he wants to know what are we struggling with, where are we finding victory in things. How is life going? He wants us to come to him. And he wants us to come to him and ask for help. We have to be reliant on him every day. There's not a minute that can go by where we don't need Christ. So this can look like a lot of different things. God will usually illuminate or show sin in your life. And then from that, that gives you the opportunity to repent of that. It's very difficult to repent of sins we don't know we have. And so God reveals these to us. And so we can come to him and ask him to change our hearts, ask him to help us to desire to love him more and more. And as our heart for him grows, our hatred towards sin will also grow, and its power will be broken. Now, obviously, his power is ultimately broken through Christ, but these are processes. Oftentimes, it takes time to put sin to death. And it does get easier and easier. I want to encourage you that. When I first moved to Australia, um, one of the most common things I would do is I would go to the driver's side of the car, even when I was a passenger. Um, And that was embarrassing. So I can say probably 20 times in the first month, people are like, oh, do you need a ride? Yes, I do. And I would end up there. They have their keys. And I'm like, oh, I guess you're driving. I'll I'll go to the passenger side. Um, And that's something I had to learn. That was new for me, which is fine. And in the same way, when we face temptation, there is that battle in our hearts. But over time, as I learned, oh, the passenger side is where I need to go, on the car, that became easier and easier. And now it's at the point, I don't have to think of that anymore. It's something that has changed in me. It's no longer necessary. And that's so often the case with temptation. Initially, when we're working to put sin to death, it is a battle. And we have to remind ourselves, this is not what we want. We want to pursue God. We want to pursue holiness. But over time, that battle grows easier and easier through Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, until it's second nature. And that's a renewal of our minds in Christ. That's a renewal of who we are. So the first thing is prayer. Um, The second thing, if you want to be putting sin to death and growing in Christ-likeness, then you and I need to be in Scripture. We need to be reading the Bible. And not just reading it and then running off and doing other things, but we need to be reading it and meditating on it, letting the truth of God's word change our hearts. Um, yeah, and that looks like a lot of different ways. It doesn't have to be just Bible reading. We're, we're coming to church, and we're hearing the word being preached. we can listen to sermons, listen to podcasts, um, reading other people's thoughts on Jesus and the truth within scripture. But the main thing should be we are feeding ourselves every day, um, finding time, to go to his word, to hear his truth, to let that wash over us and change us. And the word of God is absolutely awesome. And we see in Hebrews 4.12, it is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it is able to separate bone from marrow. It can literally cut to the deepest part of ourselves. I think so often we struggle with sin, we're like, God, I don't understand why. What is this? How How do I kill this? And through God's word and the truth within, God will cut to our heart, cut to what the issue is. He'll reveal that and allow us to repent of that. In Isaiah 55, 11, it says that God's word does not return void. And it says that it's eternal. What God has said has an effect. It is accomplished. It doesn't fade away. The truths and the promises that God gives us in here, we can cling to and hold to. In Ephesians 6, 17, what is Ephesians 6 all about? Who can tell me? Lizzie. The armor of God, yes. Putting on the full armor of God. Um, And we have this picture of armor, the breastplate of righteousness, um, the shield of faith, and these different pieces. But the only offensive weapon we have is the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So all these other pieces are defensive in nature, and they're good, and we need them. But the way that we fight back against sin is through the word of God, the sword of the Spirit. And when temptation comes, we need to use scripture. Um, And in order to do that, it's best that we know scripture. So in my personal life, going in, and if I struggle with a sin, finding verses that relate to that, finding promises against that, um, and memorizing those so that when temptation comes, I can quote those to myself. I can let that truth help change my heart. Um, And that's an amazing and beautiful thing that God gives us. And Psalm 119, says this. It says that the word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our paths. It will guide us in this life. So we need to be digging into the truth of God's word and allowing it to renew our hearts and our minds and to transform our lives. And thirdly, and the final kind of piece that I feel like God has given us in this fight against sin and um, desire for holiness is the local church in the community that God has placed us in. Now, if before this preach, I'd asked you, what are two God-empowered ways that you could fight against sin? I think all of you would have said, well, prayer and the Bible. And those are great answers. And that is true, yes. Um, And I think the church community, it is the place that God has placed us to live our lives with one another. And it's also the place that God has placed us to help one another grow in Christ-likeness and put sin to death. And I think it's the most overlooked aspect of growing in sanctification. So it is so important in our lives. It is where we are fed, and it is where we should fight sin. And I think it's often the place where our sin is most often exposed. Um, If you think you're a very holy person, choose a group of people to spend a lot of time with. And I think you'll very quickly find out you're not a very holy person. Um, Sin is exposed in community, and especially in church community. So I want to encourage you, this is only for the church, within the church. Like if you got into your local footy club or your surf lifesaving club, you're not going to grow in holiness. Um, Their hearts aren't being renewed in the same way. So this needs to be a church community that we are connected to. So the deeper we are known in our church communities, the easier it is to see our sin. The deeper we are known, we must be vulnerable and be known to one another. So when I was single... I thought I would make an excellent husband, which right off the bat is a lot of pride, but that was my heart. I'm like, I will be a pretty good husband. And then I got married. I thought, all right, this is great. And before I got married, I was like, I'm a very patient person. I'm a very kind person, quite loving. After I got married, I found out, no, I'm not a very patient person. (laughs) I'm very impatient. And at times, I'm really unkind, like ugly unkind. Um, But this only came through... Being known deeply, it only came out from a deep, deep relationship. And this is something that is so important in the life of the church. We need to be known by one another. Remember earlier in the scriptures, it says, do not lie to one another, seeing that we have put off the old self. So we're commanded specifically, explicitly, not to lie to one another. But how often is this so difficult for us? How often do we try to hide our sin, hide how we are? Um, people ask you, how are you? You say, oh, all good, no problems. Life's great. Is that true? Is that being honest? When you were asked this morning how you were, when you were greeting one another, how did you respond? Did you respond truthfully and honestly? Or did you lie to one another? And I know this is a struggle for myself so often. Like almost 100 times out of 100, someone asked me how I am. I'm amazing, life is great. But lately, I've actually had to stop and say, no, I need to be honest. Like, is my life good? And even last week, Naz asked, how are you doing? I said, oh, I'm great. And I was like, no, actually, I'm I'm pretty good. Life is pretty good. I needed to stop and think and like, I'm actually not great. I need to be honest in this community of faith. And in order to do that, like, that's what allows us to know one another, to know our struggles, to know our fears, to know our hopes, to know where we're triumphing in life and sin over sin like where Christ is is winning in our lives where we're doing so well and also to know where we're struggling and so that brothers and sisters can come alongside us and help us and part of living in community truthfully is confessing our sins to one another which is scary in James five sixteen, he explicitly says confess your sins one to another very very clear we also see in Ephesians chapter four, verse thirty-two, he um, says, "This be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you." Now, how are we able to forgive one another if we don't know we have wronged one another? We must be doing life truthfully, being known, confessing sin, so we can forgive one another. Now, this is really scary because so often our first reaction to sin is to hide it. And we see that in Scripture. Adam and Eve, as soon as they sinned, their eyes were opened. They saw their shame, their nakedness. And what did they do? They tried to cover themselves. That's a natural, sinful heart response. I need to hide myself, protect myself. I cannot be seen. I cannot be known. But that is not something we need to do in community. It is God who covers our sin. It is God who makes coverings for us. It is God who redeems us and cleanses us. And so that allows us the freedom to honestly share our struggles with one another. This is something we need to be mindful of. Be encouraged that the reason we are all here today is not because we are perfect or think we are perfect. It is because we know we are terribly sinful and that we need Jesus to save us. And church community really should be the safest place for sin to be exposed, for sinners to come and and confess sin. This is the place where God allows you to come to be sharpened as iron sharpens iron. And sharpening will not always be a pleasant experience. There's often lots of, if you see blacksmith sharpening, it's pretty violent. Um, It wears you down, there's metal shards flying, there's heat, there's sparks, but it is good and it is what God has put us into. So I would encourage you today, if you're struggling with sin, especially sin that you keep finding yourself falling into, Um, remember you're not alone. Find a trusted brother or sister in Christ, especially someone who's mature, and confess that to them. Ask for their help to walk with you, to hold you accountable, to pray for you. So much of the power of sin in our lives is broken through bringing it into the light, which we're commanded to do. So as we close here today, please remember this. If anything you take away from today is Our faith is in Christ, and if your faith is in Christ, then Christ has empowered you through the Holy Spirit to put sin to death and to walk with Jesus in holiness. Let's pray.